0: Can you navigate Manny through the danger, peril, and adversity of the land of the dead? Well, let's find out with Grim Fandango this week on the Upper Memory Block Podcast. So what shall it
1: be? Do you
0: join the unity or do? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 68 of the Upper Memory Block podcast, the long overdue episode 68. Uh, I'm Joe, as always, your host uh, here to talk to you about a game from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. Uh, So obviously, uh, the show's a little bit late. Uh, A lot of stuff's been going on. I just want to thank you guys so much for your patience uh, you know, I'm not going to dwell on that kind of stuff too much, but, uh, you know, some things have been going on the last couple of weeks that, uh, unfortunately had, uh, left me, uh, unable to, uh, to do the show, but everything's great now. Everything's all right. And, uh, we're ready to roll. I'm, I'm really excited. This is a big show, big topic. I'm sorry to keep, sorry to have kept you guys waiting. I know uh, there's a lot of anticipation for this week. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's get on with it.
2: You are listening.
0: Okay, first things first, we've got a few emails. Uh, First one from Ikifu. And he writes Hello, Joe, and fellow blockers, longtime listener, first time writer. I wanted to send you a voicemail, but I've been ill the past few days, and my voice simply isn't up to it. General praise first. I love the show, no matter the subject. I didn't think I'd be interested in a submarine sim, but Silent Service was a really interesting episode. I especially like the development focus. Being a software developer myself, I feel really smart for keeping up with most of it. So I'm writing this after the Privateer episode with the nest- next episode being Grim Fandango, two games I never played until well after they came out. I hadn't heard of Privateer back in the day, But I don't think I could have got it to run on my 486SX 25MHz. The game wanted a DX, I believe. No floating point for me. And uh, Grim Fandango put me off with its tank controls. Uh, Escape from Monkey Island had already left a bad taste in my mouth and my soul. But eventually, I gave them both a proper go. Grim Fandango still had rubbish controls. But the story, writing, aesthetic uh, are still top-notch, and it's still worth playing through. On Premise Alone, um I mean a travel agent for the dead. That should get anyone's attention. Plus now the remastered version is patched, you can play through it without touching the arrow keys. Although I think the keyboard controls are a little better too. Privateer was a lot of fun, although very unforgiving, but the open nature of the game was something I appreciated. Well, actually it mostly made it mostly made me want to go back and play Freelancer. So I did. At which point I realized just how much the game had inherited from Chris Roberts's previous works. It's adding another layer onto my Freelancer replay, which is nice. I know I should be playing more privateer, but Freelancer is just more user-friendly and I don't mind the mouse controls. My PC gamer cred still feels validated knowing that I'm playing a game with Chris Roberts' fingerprints on it. Anyway, rambling over, one final question. Are there any Windows 3.1 specific games you want to cover? I'd be interested in seeing someone cover Castle of the Winds or Metal Marines, especially weird games uh, because they used multiple windows which you could move around and resize yourself. Great job on the podcast. Keep it up. Looking forward to the next episode. Control C, Fu. Well, thanks Fu, and um you know, I obviously thanks for for your comments about uh about Privateer and uh and a little bit of preview of of what's coming up with Grim Fandango. But um you know, as a, with regard to Windows games, like these specific Windows 3.1e sort of experiences, honestly, I didn't play many of them. For some reason, I I don't know if I was like playing Super Nintendo at that point in my gaming career or something but those really pure Windows 3.1 games I didn't really ever spend much time with them. So uh you know Castle of the Winds, Metal Marines, I'll, I'll add them to the list if you guys have other kind of weird Windows games that uh that you can think of then uh then you know drop drop me drop me a line, podcast@umbcast.com as always and uh you know I can add them cuz cuz I'm interested. You know, there's a lot of games that I do cover on the show that I haven't, uh, I haven't ever played. This is not one of them, but uh, you know, I like being more exposed to to stuff like that. I know, I guess I didn't have Windows 3.1 for very long because we got Windows 95 beta, so we only had Windows 3.1 for a year or two, kind of a thing. So, anyways, thanks for that. Uh, very, very interesting. Next, we have an email from Father Beast, and he writes, following up on looking for other podcasts on retro PC gaming to listen to, I find that the upper memory block podcast is exceedingly rare. Most retro gaming podcasts focus on console games, and most PC gaming podcasts focus on current games. Still, I've been able to go through some of those recommended on this show and cherry-pick their back episodes for content that might be of interest to us blockers. The You Don't Know Flack podcast has an episode on Star Wars games and one on text adventures. Tadpog has just a few covering Out of This World, Populous, Sim City, The Lost Vikings, Zork Adventure, and uh, Leather God- Goddesses of Phobos. Those last two are a bit of a stretch, since if you ever cover any text adventures, it will be Zork. Ha ha ha. Yeah, I guess. Uh, well, Zork's on the list, that's for sure. World One Stage 1 has back episodes on Another World, Monkey Island, Doom, Fallout, Half-Life, Scum, Deus Ex, Command and Conquer, Maxis, Sim History, uh, Elder Scrolls, Civilization, Worms, Dark Forces, Star Trek Games, Black and White, Elite, and Tomb Raider. Uh, Looking forward to hearing these. And my favorite, besides yours, thank you, sir, uh, is Watch Out for Fireballs, which has back episodes on Myst, The Longest Journey, Planescape Torment, uh, Sacrifice, Maniac Mansion, Gabriel Knight, Fallout 1 and 2, Deus Ex, Monkey Island 2, Heroes of Might and Magic 3, Master of Orion 2, Half-Life, I Have No Mouth and I Have a Scream, and just published this weekend, Star Control 2. I still have yet to go other back go over the back episodes of other podcasts for recommendations, but I think I will too. Still listening, Father Beast. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, you know, I will definitely have to add some of those to my list because there's a. Uh you know, I've covered, I've, there's a few games that I've covered, there's a few I haven't, but I'm always actually interested to see how other people do it. So, uh, you know, if, uh, if if someone else, another show has covered a game that I have a tendency to talk about, then, uh, then I'm interested to see what take they have on it. So, uh, thanks. And you guys should check those out, too, if uh, you have some holes in your podcast listening uh, schedule. Finally, we have an email from Parker. And Parker writes, Hey Joe, it's Parker again. Once again, not much to say about this week's topic... I've been watching a Let's Play of it courtesy of Sips from the Yogscast. cast. Anyway, I have a question for you. What's your opinion on the space-based DF9 fiasco? I'm not sure if you know this, but Tim Schaefer made the game. Uh, the problem was that the game was very expensive, uh, $24.99 US, and got cancelled partway through the very early alpha stage. The only thing they said after the fact that, uh, was that not enough money was coming in to continue development. This obviously angered a lot of people, especially since Steam doesn't give out refunds. I was curious about your opinion on this. Thanks a ton. Parker. Well, Parker, I actually know a little bit about this situation because I own Spacebase DF9, and I was actually playing it, and uh, and I was having fun with it. I think I even may have talked about this on a previous episode when it happened, but uh, you know, that uh, that announcement came out, and I don't really have a tendency to get mad about these things, but I was, shall we say, slightly annoyed because, you know, the game as it was... Really wasn't very complete. And, um, you know, the fact that they put it out in early access and they had this whole, you know, roadmap of things they wanted to do and, and all this stuff. And then, you know, at, at a certain point, they kind of said, oh, all that stuff we told you we were going to do in, you know, 1.0. Yeah, we're not doing that. We're just going to finish off a few things, clean up some bugs, patch a 1.0 on it, take it out of early access and, uh, and, you know, you're done. So, yeah, it didn't sit too well with me. So my thoughts on the situation are, you know, I i'm gonna you know you're gonna hear it a lot today i like tim schaefer but uh you know after this and you know broken age came out and and we're just we're still waiting on episode two but it's it's scheduled to come out but it's taken a damn long time and uh you know the fact that they were like oh we're gonna do this but we're cutting that game in half and you know tim schaefer does have a tendency to overpromise, much like peter molyneux though maybe not quite as uh religiously, shall we say. And uh so you know, I'm not super surprised, but uh I was a bit disappointed especially being that it seems as though they're not going to they're not going to continue development on it at all. So, yeah, not not too happy, but uh you know, them them's the ropes. That that's the new era, right? This is the the new world of of Kickstarter and early access and you know, you might not get everything that you bargain for. There's a lot more transparency. We see a lot more into the game development process. At the end of the day, if they had said, hey, we're making this game called Space Base DF9, it's going to do a couple things, and then no one saw it until it released, and we got the 1.0 with all the features that are in it right now, we probably would have been relatively okay with it. But the fact that they told us that they were going to do so much, we saw the game through development, through improvements, through this and that, you know, that creates a lot more transparency. It gives us a lot more inside baseball of what happens in game development, and... Sadly, like I say a lot on on this show when I'm going over dev story, everything that people intend to put into a game doesn't always get in and sometimes really big chunks don't get in. I mean, from even a Tim Schafer perspective, you know, his one of his first jobs at LucasArts was to build a ship combat module for the first Monkey Island game. And it was done and it was working and, uh, you know, it needed a bit more time it needed a bit more polish and it got cut. So, you know, had, had that been an early access game, we'd be like, where's the ship combat? This game sucks. As opposed to saying, hey, Monkey Island is one of the best adventure games in history. So, eh, what are you going to do? So anyways, thanks a lot, Parker. And uh, keep on listening. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for over <laughs>
3: Buenos Dias. Everybody here is just as dead as you. That's why we call it the land of the dead. Manny, what are you doing here? I wanted to see how your trip was going, Angel. I am your travel agent, you know. could have walked faster than this. Ugh, híjole, I'm gonna miss the poisoning. Cut the yap. I want something cheap where I can get some rest, and that's it. If you haven't bagged a premium before the next sales report comes in, you're out.
2: Guess they couldn't save me, huh?
3: No, but there's still a chance you could save me. I was once a reaper like yourself, Manuel. But I uncovered a web of corruption in our beloved Department of Death. Hector! No! It looks like I've got one of your boys down here in the morgue.
1: Tell me, Manny. Would I have had a chance?
3: (laughs) You gotta watch your step around here, stranger. Rubikami, the quaint little port town she used to be, I've got to get back to the city where the action is. Manuel, are you in love with her? Love? Love is for the living, Sal. I'm only after her for one reason. She's my ticket out of here. for suckers.
0: All right, so as you may have guessed, this week we are hitting another one of the big guys, Grim Fandango. So Grim Fandango is a standalone title, unfortunately, which was developed and published by our friends at LucasArts back in the epic gaming year of 1998. So as we do, let's talk genre. Now, this may not surprise you, but Grim Fandango is an adventure game. I probably don't have to do this, but you know what? Might be someone's first time listening, so let's be complete and quickly define what an adventure game is. So an adventure game places you into the role of one or more protagonists. Uh, Early on in the game, your character or your group or whatever is is given a quest of some type, either explicitly through story exposition, cutscenes, blah, 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 or slowly through events uh, that develop in the world around you. You then proceed through the world, in- interacting with places, people, and things. Now, obstacles in your path generally take the form of puzzles. Uh, adventure game puzzles come in all shapes and sizes, and uh, you know they can range from simple logic puzzles, to riddles, to history, to mathematical and science-related questions, to requiring specialized knowledge of the game characters or of the world... Uh, to anything else you can possibly think of Uh, you solve these problems by interacting with npcs using items from your inventory uh, new and creative ways and a whole bunch of other methods some of which make sense and some of which unfortunately do not eventually though uh, you'll solve all the puzzles and do everything that needs to be done which will result in the resolution of your quest one way or another
3: Someone's going to take the fall for this, Calavera, and it ain't going to be me!
0: Okay, so now we're on to what is probably the most important aspect of Grim Fandango, the setting and the story. Before I explain it, let's hit up the game's intro as our main character, Manuel Manny Calavera, uh, provides us with a little bit of, uh, of exposition.
3: For the wait, Mr. Flores, I am ready to take you now.
0: Take me? Take me where? Now, now.
3: There's no need to be nervous. Nervous? No. Just your appearance. It's a little intimidating. Intimidating? Me? But I'm your friend. My name's Manny Calavera. I'm your new travel agent. I don't want a new travel agent. I want to go home. (laughs) You can't go home, Celso. You're dead. But you're not alone. Everybody here is just as dead as you. That's why we call it the land of the dead. Are you ready for your big journey? No. What journey? The four-year journey of the soul. It is quite a big trip, and I can't lie to you, Celso. It could be very, very dangerous. Unless you were to take that money you were buried with and buy a better travel package from us. I mean, wouldn't you rather cross the land of the dead in your own sports car? Maybe try a luxury ocean cruise, or if you led a very good life, you may even be eligible for a ticket on the number 9 itself. The number 9? That's our top-of-the-line express train. It shoots straight to the Ninth underworld, the land of eternal rest, in 4 minutes instead of 4 years. But very few people qualify. Let's take a look at your records. Hmm? Bad news is the train appears to be just out of your reach, but I still got a couple of tricks up my sleeve here. Mm-hmm. Yaha! Yes, that's the ticket. The Excelsior line! Yes, she's a beauty. That compass in the handle will sure come in handy, too. Oh, you're going to have a great trip. Wish I was going. Why don't you? You could give me a lift. Oh, I can't leave here until I've worked off a little dead to the powers that be. Community service, eh? Well, I guess there are some folks worse off than me. Oh, I'll be leaving here soon enough. No thanks to dead and no commission, low-life cases like yours, Menso.
4: Hey, Manny, the boss told me to tell you not to leave early tonight. He wants to talk to you about something when he gets back from his trip.
3: Tell Don not to worry. I'm not going anywhere, especially not with clients like that. Where do they get these guys? They don't qualify for anything good, so I can't sell anything good. can't work off my time and I'm stuck. Stuck selling walking sticks to a bunch of burros for eternity. I need better clients. I need a real saint. I need a lead on a rich, dead saint.
0: so grim fandango as you may have heard places us in the land of the dead now this is the realm where the recently departed end up immediately after death as we heard manny explain each soul must enter the land of the dead and undertake the four-year journey of the soul uh, the culmination of which is the arrival at the ninth underworld also known as the land of eternal rest now the game's style and world are very much set in uh, in the mythology and traditions of Mexico and other Central American countries. Uh, you know most most likely finding their deep roots back in the mythology of the Mayans. Now I tried to figure out exactly how uh, this world was based in Mayan mythology, but frankly it would take a lot more reading than uh, than I care to do on the subject. Basically I ended up finding two somewhat competing theories on the matter of exactly how, you know, Tim Schafer took this stuff and and ran with it. Uh, One is tied to the Mayan calendar, which, uh, as you may recall, was in the news a lot, I think back in 2011. The, uh, The Mayan calendar is split into nine ages or planes of existence or something to that effect. Each of these ages spawn its own underworld, which equate to different states of consciousness and of enlightenment. Uh, It's all pretty complex. The ninth underworld is the last and final underworld generated by the last and final age, which theoretically would also result in the end of the world, but I guess that didn't happen. Now, the other possibility that I came across is that the underworld you ended up in was a function of how you died. So if you died in battle, you'd be claimed by the god of war, and you'd go to his underworld, which may be the second or first or something. Uh, if you drowned, you'd go to the god of the sea, etc., etc. Now, the land of the dead is sort of the uh, <laughs> the general-purpose underworld, where uh, otherwise unclaimed souls ended up. Uh, each underworld had its own set of rules and processes for reaching eternal rest and this particular one requires the soul to undergo the four-year journey. Uh, suffice it to say that Tim Schaefer and uh, the design team on Grim Fandango didn't make up the rules of this world on on their own. They had uh, they had a lot of books <laughs> to to go through and and stuff to uh, to fill to flesh things out. So we're in the land of the dead, uh, and you know the land of the dead is amazing looking. Uh, It's a stylized and colorful take on uh, the architectures of Mexico and Central America, combined with a 30s and 40s kind of art deco film noir aesthetic with a touch of of steampunk thrown in. Uh, You know, this isn't the dank and dark underworld of Greek or Roman mythology. It's probably one of the most unique worlds you'll encounter in an adventure game, at least from a from a, a visual perspective. And I need to stress this. While a lot of the inspiration for this world comes from film noir, it's in no way low-key or black and white like you would associate with that genre of, of book and film. Now, this is a dynamic and colorful world, which, which frankly seems like a pretty nice place to live, you know, considering you're already dead. You know, The world is inhabited by the souls of the dead. Now, these souls appear to us as... Very stylish and stylized skeletons. Uh, in fact, the exact style is known as uh, calaca. These are uh, the traditional, ornately decorated skulls and skeletons used to uh, to decorate things between uh, you know during the Mexican Day of the Dead festival. A uh, quick Google of calaca—that's uh, C-A-L-A-C-A—will uh, help you visualize things. Uh, you can really see how those you know real life-decorated uh, skulls inspired the, uh, the look of the game. Now, aside from these lost souls, the world is also populated by demons. Uh, these demons exist to perform mundane day-to-day tasks. Uh, you encounter a few of them, but one demon in particular will become very important very soon. So all that aside, let's talk about you. You are Manny Calavera, travel agent to the dead. Now, what does this mean exactly? Well, basically, you're the Grim Reaper. Uh, Manny works for the Department of the Dead. Uh, he's down on the front lines, traveling back and forth uh, from the land of the living to escort n- the newly dead across the gap into the afterlife. So, Manny's task, as we saw after convincing uh, the soul that they're actually dead, is to look up their file and see you know, what kind of life they've led. The better your life, uh, you know, in, a, in a, a biblical sense, I imagine, uh, the better your package. If you're a bad person, you walk and the trip takes four years. As a better person, you can qualify for faster and more comfortable modes of transit, culminating in the number nine train. The number nine is an ultra luxury express train which cuts your trip from four years down to four minutes. Uh, very few people qualify for the number nine as a... To do so requires you to live an exemplary life of personal sacrifice and selfless service to others. So, like anyone working on commission, it's in Manny's best interest to sell as many high-end, high-value packages as possible. Why is this, do you ask? Well, as you heard in the intro, it's not because he wants to get rich. Uh, You may be wondering why Manny isn't on his own journey. Well, it was hinted at, as we just heard in the intro, uh, Manny did something... Back during his time in the land of the living, which incurred some amount of spiritual debt, as to uh, you know, to as he calls them, uh, the powers that be. You know, he's working off that debt in his position with the Department of Death. So we saw Manny work his magic with Celso in the uh, in the intro, and uh, we also know he hasn't been doing very well in the high-margin sales department. As he says, he needs a lead on a rich dead saint to get his numbers up and get his debt paid. Well. There's a little sound right at the end of the intro there that you may have noted, and that is the sound of his pneumatic mail tube delivering a note that may result in just that.
3: Don't tell me that prospect
0: doesn't appeal to you. Okay, gameplay time. As usual, we'll go slightly deeper into the story as we talk about how to play the game. No worries, though. I'm not going to go into the guts of things. This is a story that you should experience all the way through firsthand without me spoiling things for you. Now, you may think, Joe, this is an adventure game. We've done this a million times. You know, you, you click on things, you open in the inventory screen, you talk to people, blah, 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 blah. Well, in some ways, you're right. This is an adventure game and a LucasArts adventure game at that. A lot of the tropes we're used to are here. You know, you navigate many around the world from place to place, from screen to screen. Uh, you have an inventory. There's puzzles of all kinds. There's interaction with NPCs, some of which are out to help you. Others are out to block your path. This is very, very much an adventure. However, there are some major differences between Grim Fandango and other adventure games we've previously talked about. Most of this is due to the fact that, unlike almost every other LucasArts adventure I've discussed, this is not a scum game. Grim Fandango is built in the Grime Engine. Uh, we'll get into the technical details of that later, but the most important takeaway from that is that this game's characters are rendered in 3D and overlaid onto pre-rendered static 3D backgrounds. By extension, the standard point-and-click mouse control of previous adventure games was dropped in favor of what we colloquially have come to call tank controls. So basically, the game controlled with either the keyboard, a joystick, or a gamepad. And this isn't like a 360 controller. We're talking about like a Gravis gamepad, old school, you know. I know I use the keyboard, uh, so I'm going to talk about it mainly from that perspective. So to move Manny around the world, you moved him with the arrow keys. In a way, this control scheme was sort of a throwback to early Sierra AGI games, where there was no guarantee the computer would have a mouse. Now, this works fairly well in theory. Uh, The only real issue is where the concept of tank controls rears its ugly head. So tank control doesn't Just mean you move your character around with the arrow keys. You see, in old tanks, I'm assuming kind of World War One, World War Two era, and even like early World War Two era tanks, you had two treads. You know, those those belts that make the tank move forward. Ones on the left side, ones on the right side, and uh, you could gear those treads independently, but you couldn't really make them move at different speeds. So if you wanted to turn, so obviously if both tank treads are moving at the same speed in the same direction. You're moving forward. So if you wanted to turn, you either had to put one tread into neutral. So I guess the inside tread. So if you wanted to turn to the right, you would put the right tread into neutral. Or if you wanted to turn really fast into reverse and keep the left one going straight. So the tank would turn. So the result of this is that whenever the tank had to change direction, it would basically have to come to a stop. It would have to rotate and then it would have to start moving forward again. Now, what this translates to into Grim Fandango is that Manny can't move forward and turn at the same time. Again, much like old Sierra AGI games. You know, this creates a situation much like is described above. If we need to cross a space diagonally, like you do down in the garage of the DoD building early in the game, it's sort of an upright, 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 upright kind of alternating uh, key press situation. It's clunky to be sure, but, uh, you know, unlike other games that use tank controls like... uh, Alone in the Dark, and other uh, Resident Evil, other survival horror games. It's more of an inconvenience than anything here. But, you know, it is irritating, So <laughs> and it is different, so it definitely bears mentioning. So aside from the movement, the game also had no user interface whatsoever. Again, unlike other LucasArts games, where, you know, you had your standard scum, you know, bottom left of the screen had a list of verbs, uh, you would... Act those verbs on screen hotspots with descriptive text and uh, you add a visual inventory grid grim fandango totally changes this up so instead of the standard scrolling grid of inventory items uh, pressing the i key brings up a close-up of manny's a very dapperly attired torso and from here you can scroll through your inventory so basically what he does is as you kind of push left or right to change item he will reach into his jacket and pull out the next item you'll then have the opportunity to uh, examine the item and get you know, the standard little snippet of text describing what it is, or using it. Now, using it doesn't just use it right away, it will actually just place it into Manny's hands so he can use it within the game world. Now, instead of highlighting a mouse cursor over hotspots, what happens in this game is as Manny's walking around a scene and walks within range of a hotspot, he will turn his head and look At that hotspot, which indicates something is there that he can interact with. So, this is sort of a single click, even though you don't really click, it's a single action button game. So, hitting your action button will make Manny interact with a hotspot. You know, if it's a person, he'll most likely talk to them. Otherwise, he'll examine or otherwise use the spot in question. Uh, If he has an inventory item in his hand, he'll try and use that along with the hotspot, if at all possible. So, with this new paradigm in mind, let's get on to things. Manny finds out there's a mass poisoning in the land of the living, and all agents are to proceed there immediately. There's a bit of a problem, though. It seems Domino Hurley, the DoD's top agent, has sent Manny's driver home for the day, and his boss, Don Copal, does not want to be disturbed. This leads Manny to meet Glottis, the demon mechanic who dreams of driving. It's his only reason for existence, and he doesn't get to do it. Eventually, through uh, some uh, sneaky bureaucracy... Manny arranges for Gladys to drive him to the poisoning, because the only way to get to the land of the living is by demon-piloted bone wagons. After another disappointing client and uh, a chewing out by Don Capal, Manny sneakily gets his hands on uh, a prime candidate, one Mercedes Meche Colomar. Meche has lived a great life and is a shoe in for the number nine. She's going to save Manny his job. Well, it turns out that things aren't quite so simple. It seems Meche does not qualify for the number nine. Manny sends her away on her four-year walk. However, he begins investigating the situation just because it's so abnormal. He soon discovers a plot of corruption involving Domino, Copal, and the local crime boss, Hector Lamonts. This leads Manny to leave his home of El Maro in search of Meche to try and right the wrong he caused her and to pay his debt, we revisit Mania November 2nd of the next four years and, uh, you know, we further his quest both to save Meche, cure El Maro, and the DoD of Hector's corruption and redeem his soul for all eternity. So that's that for gameplay. I want to leave the bulk of the story untold. So you know what? Let's, let's move right on and talk tech. You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast.
1: Time for...
0: Okay, tech focused time. So to run Grim Fandango, you needed the following hardware. A Pentium 133 megahertz CPU, 32 megs of RAM, Windows 95 or 98, and 30 megs of hard drive space. Now, if you wanted to run the whole game from disc, you'd need to free up 1.2 gigs to copy all the videos over. It's not a small feat in 1998. Graphically, the game required a PCI or AGP graphics card with at least two megs of video RAM and DirectX 6 compatibility. If you really wanted things to look nice, though, a 3D accelerator with four megs of VRAM was preferred. Now, when it came to sound, any Windows compatible sound device would do. So I sort of skimmed over the fact that Grim Fandango does not run on the venerable old scum game engine that all our old favorite LucasArts adventures used. Instead, it ran on the Grime Engine, so that's actually the Grim, capital E, engine, Grime. Now, initially, the game was intended to run on Scum. However, lead programmer Brett Moglievski soon realized that uh, the engine and uh, Scum scripting language were, were actually very specific and much more hard-coded than, uh, than he had initially thought. Now, it turns out that uh, Scum was very well tailored to make Scum-style adventure games, but didn't really meet the needs of a 3D-rendered game. He decided that the engine should be redone with 3D in mind right from the start. Now, while this seems like a daunting task, it turns out that the bulk of the work was actually already done. Uh, The pre-existing Sith engine that was used to power uh, Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2 had a great modern 3D renderer in it. Now, if you want to know more about that, you may want to visit episode 40 where I discuss the uh, Dark Forces and Jedi Knight series. But what you really need to know is uh, that, you know, it, it had the basis for for rendering 3D, obviously. So he had a base engine which could put 3D on the screen. Sith also had a scripting language named COG, which, uh, you know, because LucasArts is LucasArts, COG didn't mean anything. This language, though, was designed in-house by uh, the Dark Forces team as an upgrade over the INF scripting language they had created for the original Dark Forces. So since, like Scum, uh, COG, INF, and these engines were in-house solutions, there were no programmers outside of LucasArts, and in fact no one even outside of the Jedi Knight team, who knew how to program in COG or INF. Or at least how to script. Sorry, it's not really programming; it's scripting. The guys at work would get very mad at me if I said that scripting was programming. So these scripting languages—Scum, Cog, AGI, SCI, etc., etc.—are uh, are languages created by engine programmers to make life easier for game designers, more junior developers, and uh, level designers to do their work quicker. Now, basically, these in-engine languages. Abstract away a lot of the grunt work of programming a game. So instead of rolling all the way down to the guts of C or maybe even Assembler to display a message on the screen, you know, so say exactly that. Say I wanted I want to display hello on the screen. One character's talking to another and they say hello. Now, if you didn't have an engine, you'd basically have to do everything. I mean, you'd have to define what the text is, that's pretty straightforward, but you'd have to define what size the text is, what font the text is, where that font is stored, how to render that font, what color it is, Uh, just tons and tons of stuff. I mean, you probably have to roll down to handling, you know, you have to malloc things. So you'd have to say, oh, this this piece of text is gonna use this piece of memory. And then when I'm done using it, it's gonna go away and I'm gonna destroy it to free up that piece of memory. Uh, You know, it's just a lot of work to do a very simple thing if you don't have utility functions to do these things for you. So instead of doing all that stuff, the smart guys make an engine and then the guys that need to be creative and don't want to waste time doing, you know, the down dirty programming stuff would just type a single line like print bracket, hello, close bracket. And that would do all that stuff that I just talked about. So this is all well and good. We've got all these languages that are in-house. The LucasArts guys know them. Some of them do. Some of them don't. Whatever, whatever. But Brett kind of figured, why do I and other people, because this is going to the adventure game team, Tim Schafer's team that are scum-lits, as as they like to be called. Why should they learn and I learn yet another in-house language that's only useful for one thing? So he'd been recently reading uh, an article about a scripting language called Lua. It's L-U-A. Now, this was a third-party language that had a set syntax, which could be leveraged by the team for Grim Fandango. Uh, the, 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 the design of the language was, was very comparable to Scum, which, of course, as I just said, project lead Tim Schaefer and the other guys on the, on the Grim Fandango team were intimately familiar with, given their past projects. So in a single afternoon, Brett layered Lua into the Sith engine and uh, had it running to eh, a reasonable degree. After a few more weeks of tweaking and adding what they considered to be critical functions that already existed within Scum, they had the basis for the Grime engine. Lua was a very flexible language that allowed a lot of fixes and patches and stuff to be done on the fly, and even allowed for an in-game console where uh, code could be entered while the game was running, much like the console in games like Quake. Uh, this feature was disabled in the production game, but imagine the fun we could have had if that thing was on and you're playing Grim Fandango. Now, this is actually considered to be one of the first usages of Lua in a gaming context. Now, these days, many, many games implement themselves in Lua. Uh, the first place I ever came across it, you know, with any knowledge that that's what was happening was uh, was World of Warcraft. Now, the mod API uh, in that game uses Lua, and of course the modding community around WoW is just massive. So there's tons of Lua resources. You know, if you ever played WoW and you have any mods, they are written in Lua using the API that Blizzard exposed for uh, for modders to use. So Grime would go on to power Escape from Monkey Island as well. Uh, there's a lot more. There's a lot more cool info floating around about this engine, but you know that's a nice little taste for you. And As I always do, I want to talk about the music. As with most LucasArts adventure titles, uh, Grime also leveraged the iMuse music system. Now, this game's soundtrack is composed by Peter McConnell, who we know from almost every single LucasArts title you can think of. Uh, He either would work on them completely by himself or, you know, in conjunction with other people like Michael Land. Uh, This one's pure Peter McConnell. Uh, The music combines elements of South American folk, big band, and jazz. Uh, The game's music was recorded digitally with musicians McConnell knew from San Francisco performing uh, his arrangements. I love the music in this game. Uh, It's a great blending of uh, the 40s film noir aesthetic, along with Day of the Dead themes brought in with some kind of Mexican and South American themes. There was a whole mariachi band involved. (laughs) Uh, The soundtrack, actually, titled uh, Big Band, Bebop and Bones, was actually released on CD in 1998, and uh, it was available for purchase from the Lucas Arts Company store and features 32 tracks from the game. Uh, you can also find it online, because uh, a CD would be a little hard to find these days.
2: You're listening to the Upper
1: Memory Block Podcast. Time for
0: Okay, Dev Story time. So Grim Fandango, as I've said repeatedly so far, is a Tim Schafer game. Uh, I talked in detail about Tim's early life way back in episode 21 when we went over full throttle. Uh, That actually bookends pretty nicely with Grim Fandango as this is his next game. So to recap quickly, uh, Schaefer was born in Sonoma, California. He was the youngest of five kids and uh, he took an interest in computers early, being involved in his high school's computer club and eventually attending UC Berkeley and getting himself an honest-to-goodness computer science degree. Now, according to Schaefer himself, unlike a lot of the devs that we've discussed, he didn't fly through college or get rich due to his programming genius, he basically got his CS degree just by the skin of his teeth. After graduation, he saw an opening at Lucasfilm Games and decided to apply. After a shaky phone interview, where uh, he basically admitted that uh, he liked LucasArts games just enough to pirate them, he was told to send in a resume. So to make up for his gaffe, or at least what he felt was a gaffe, he sent his cover letter in the form of a text adventure. Uh, That seemed to cement the deal, and he was hired. Uh, He he went through scum boot camp, getting uh, sped up on that language, while uh, testing Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Uh, He went on to work on both Monkey Island 1 and 2, where he distinguished himself enough to be given the reins of his first project, Day of the Tentacle. Of course, Day of the Tentacle was also a huge success, and will probably be the next Lucas game I, uh, I cover, along with Maniac Mansion. Due to this success, Schaefer was asked to pitch five more game ideas to LucasArts management. He did, and uh, he pitched the softballs first, a sequel to Day of the Tentacle, and a sequel to Monkey Island. Then, he pitched a game about bikers, and a game about the Day of the Dead. I never could figure out what that fifth game was, maybe it was Psychonauts or something, who knows. Anyways. The next game they greenlit was the Biker game, which became Full Throttle. Now, I'm glad this was the case. Full Throttle was a scum game, but also leveraged the Insane engine, which uh, powered Rebel Assault. But, uh, you know, the tech just wasn't there to do what they would do for Grim Fandango. So, again, Full Throttle released and was a huge hit. Now, frankly, between Full Throttle and Gabriel Knight, I can't really decide which, which, which more exemplifies the pinnacle of uh, of 2D point-and-click adventure gaming. But, uh, you know, that's another discussion for another day. So, after Full Throttle was a success, Schaefer got the go-ahead to start work on his other concept, a game based on the Mexican Dia de los Muertos, or The Day
1: of the Dead. I've got something that might interest you.
0: So, I guess the big question to ask is, how did Tim Schaefer even come up with the idea of doing a game based on the Mexican Day of the Dead. Well, it turns out that he had taken an anthropology class during his computer science degree at UC Berkeley. Now, After learning of the four-year journey of the afterlife, he quickly realized it would be an ideal setting for an adventure game. Now, The journey in and of itself is inherently a quest. So the next question is, who would you want to be in such a, such a situation? Would you want to be a simple departed soul making his journey to the land of eternal rest? No, that's boring. You want to be the Grim Reaper. However, he twisted it around. While you'd think the job of being the Grim Reaper would be impressive, Schaefer made it so that, you know, at the end of the day, Manny just ends up biding his time and punching a clock. You know, he made it so that while Manny looks impressive in his robe and with his scythe and, you know, with his stilts on to make him bigger, at the end of the day, He's just a glorified taxi driver. He has no real power. I mean, he brings souls in. He punches their name into a computer. And he gives them what the computer tells him to give them. I mean, it's just pure drudgery. It sucks. So in the same class where he first learned about, uh, you know, the Day of the Dead, he learned more aspects of Mexican folklore. You know, the dead are buried with two bags of money. One's on their chest, and one is hidden somewhere else in their coffin. Now, the thought behind this is that if... Uh, you know, the one, the, ma- the, the visible bag of money on their chest is stolen in the afterlife, they will still have the hidden money available to use. Uh, so, you know, this kind of planted the seed in his, ma- in his brain for the main plot point of organized crime and corruption in the land of the dead. So he had a setting and the framework for a story, but, you know, how do you represent it all? Well, to do this, he fell back on another style completely. The game would have a very interesting 1930s Art Deco style coupled with a lot of inspiration from 1940s film noir. He took inspiration from the characters and events from a wide variety of noir novels by Raymond Chandler and uh, Dashiell Hammett, in addition to classic film noir movies such as The Maltese Falcon and Key Largo. In fact, the, prime bo- the crime boss, Hector Lamont, was modeled very heavily, in fact it was kind of just ripped off, from uh, Signor Ferrari, who's kind of the main... I think he's the main bad guy in Casablanca. It's been a long time since I've seen Casablanca, but I do remember Senor Ferrari. So Schaefer and his design team had a huge task ahead of them. You know, they had inspiration from a very disparate array of sources. However, they were able to meld them all into a cohesive and interesting world. Uh, You know, the souls were modeled after the Kalakau figures from the Day of the Dead, like I said. Uh, The game's architecture Melded Art Deco elements with uh, styles from of Aztec temples up to 1950s and 60s hot rod designs and, and much more. It's it's crazy. You know, even Manny's job went through changes. You know, originally he was supposed to be a real estate agent selling, I guess, you know, properties for souls to live in in the land of the dead uh, instead of a travel agent. And at that time, the game's working title was actually Deeds of the Dead, and uh, the game went through quite a few other titles. Until uh, they settled on Grim Fandango. I have to
2: confess, I never killed anybody.
0: So, much like Full Throttle before it, the game used a great cast of professional voice actors. You know, Manny was voiced by Tony Plana, who was born in Cuba but moved to the US in 1960. He's a prolific actor who really helped to shape Manny's character. You know, he worked with the writers to add in expressions and lines that were more authentically Spanish and just really gave Manny a unique and interesting personality. Uh, Meche. Is voiced by Maria Canals, who uh, has done a lot of TV and voiceover work, including being the voice of Hawk Girl, Hawk Girl, not Hot Girl, Hawk Girl on, uh, on the Justice League. So the game released on October 30th, 1998, which was the Friday before the actual Day of the Dead on November 2nd. Now, here's where things get a little bit interesting. The game was praised by reviewers and players alike. It also received very high praise in general. It won many awards and continues to top lists of best adventure games of all time. Wikipedia lists something like 20 different awards from 1998 alone. Despite all of this, Grim Fandango is actually considered a commercial failure. While LucasArts said, yeah, the game met expectations, it was clear at this point that adventure games were sort of on the way out. After Grim Fandango, Escape from Monkey Island was released in 2000, But, you know, work on sequels to Sam and Max and Full Throttle were cancelled. I guess Schaefer's other two ideas, or sorry, or I guess maybe the fifth one was a sequel to Sam and Max. But that would probably be, uh, what's his face? Steve Purcell. So, you know, at least for the time being, it seemed like LucasArts' adventures were done. You know, shortly after Grim Fandango's release, Schaefer would leave LucasArts along with many people he worked with on the game and, uh, and would form Double Fine Productions, where he remains to this day. Hmm, who is the fat man I wonder, and how does he fit into this sinister puzzle? So what is the future hole for Grim Fandango? Well as we've been talking about for a while, a remastered version of the game recently released from Tim Schafer at Double Fine. Uh, the remaster is actually what I played in preparation for the show, since uh, the original game doesn't run on Scum VM. Uh, another project named Residual VM actually tries to recreate the Grime engine, but you know I figured since the remaster was available and I want to play it anyways, why not just use that? Uh, you know the remaster features modes for high res and original graphics, uh, developer commentary, and improved controls. In addition to uh, cleaner keyboard and gamepad controls, a point and click system was also added. Though honestly. I found the keyboard was still the best way to play the game. Uh, While I generally enjoyed the remaster, there's a couple of things that I do need to point out. Uh, It hasn't really been 100% HD-ified. Now, the character models are high res, but the original backgrounds are not. So, you know, there's a bit of a disconnect there. The the characters are a little sharper than the backgrounds are. Also, the FMV cutscenes are not quite as crisp as we're used to in modern games. At the end of the day, this didn't bother me much and didn't really detract from my experience, but it's important to know. One final, though, huge omission in the remaster is the lack of an autosave feature and a limitation on save slots. I mean, in this day and age, why? (laughs) How hard is it to just say, you know what, when you change scenes, when you get to a different chapter every five minutes, whatever do an autosave. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. Maybe they really want it to keep to the uh, the original and the stress of forgetting to save your game, but you know what? This is a LucasArts game, so you can't die anyways. The, o- the only way you're going to screw up is uh, you know if you crash or if the game crashes. So with all that stuff in mind, you can grab Grim Fandango Remastered off GOG or Steam for around 15 bucks. Okay, a few more emails. First one from Elima. Actually, this is the second half of the email that she sent uh, that I read in the last episode. So, she continues. As for Grim Fandango, wow, I cannot overstate how happy I am that you're covering this game. Clearly one of my favorite adventure games of all time. I actually played this game circa 2005 when I got a pirated copy from my best friend. At the time, I was in college, translation and penniless, sorry LucasArts and I kept kicking myself for not having played it sooner. I fell in love with the dark comedy and the lore of Grim Fandango. Granted, the controls were kind of wonky. I wasn't much a fan of those, just like I didn't like the control scheme in Escape from Monkey Island. But the story, the characters, the places, and the music, good grief. Peter McConnell really outdid himself this time. I love the soundtrack, still listen to it to this day. In fact, if you could play my favorite track, High Tone Fandango, you would make me a very happy blocker. And the writing, the writing, absolutely brilliant. I'll always remember Membrillo, the forensic botanist, aka Coroner. All day long, Manny, I sort through pure sadness. I find evidence, and I piece together stories. But none of my stories end well. They'll all end here. And the moral of every story is the same. We may have years, we may have hours, but sooner or later, we push up flowers. All characters, all the characters were very well done. Manny, Meche, Lupe, Salvador, Eva, Hector, Olivia and Glottis. Ah, Glottis. I love Glottis. I kinda wish they made a plush Glottis. Oh wait, they do. Well, kinda. Anyway, enough gushing from me. I haven't gotten around to getting the remastered edition just yet, but I definitely will, no question about it. What's the rush when there's the pile? I really, really recommend this game. It's just so very, very awesome. Just look at all the awards the original won back in 1998. There's not a shred of doubt in my mind that your verdict will be favorable as well. Thanks so much for the podcast. Take care, Alima slash Emily. P.S. Yes, the Patreon hangout was pretty cool to listen to. I love that you guys gave a shout-out to Alley Cat. It used to be so much fun. Well, thank you, Alima, And, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see what my verdict is. Maybe I'll surprise you. I probably won't. But uh, ama- amazing thoughts, amazing memories. I love the quote. And, yeah, the music is just incredible. I mean, what what is there? What more is there to say about the game? But you know what? Since you like Glottis, let's give you one of these.
3: That's the Sugar Papa likes!
0: Ah. Next email is from Jenny. Hello, Joe and fellow blockers. I'm sure you're going to get a lot of mail about Grim Fandango. Yes, you are correct. I do. <laughs> so I'll try and keep this short. I first played Skeleton Casablanca when it first came out and instantly fell in love with the art style, the noir aesthetic, and glottis. The game stuck with me and, along with Tracer Bullet from Calvin and Hobbes, likely kick-started my enjoyment of film Noir. I played it several times during its initial release, enough so that to this day I still have a perfect audio clip in my head of Olivia saying, but now we dance this grim fandango and will for years before we rest. For whatever reason, despite still to this day owning a physical copy of the game, I didn't actually play it again until the recent remastered re-release. I played it on my PS4 with the original tank controls and wanted to kill myself. I don't know if we've been spoiled with modern-day camera-sensitive controls, or if uh, we just have more patience with tank controls on PC than on consoles. I'm sure you'll touch upon this in your podcast, but Grim Fandango, while generally profitable, was still considered a sales failure in terms of units sold, one assumes, and to many, signaled the death of adventure games as profitable to develop. Schaefer has gone on record saying that he's open to the idea of a sequel, but I'm hoping that doesn't happen. I feel with the level of critical and fan acclaim and status as an example of video games as art, a sequel would likely do more harm than good. Looking forward to your next episode and holding you to your promise about covering Fate of Atlantis and Maniac Mansion slash Day of the Tentacles sometime this year. Regards, Jenny. Uh, P.S. If any of your listeners are interested in more comedy noir, might I suggest The Cheap Detective, which uh, you can find on Wikipedia, which is a satire of both Casablanca and the Maltese Falcon. Also, if anyone wants to get their geeky jewelry on, retro game artist Maya Pixelskaya has made a beautiful Manny pendant, which uh, I will link in the show notes. It's made of porcelain, so it should be handy in fending off any Guybrush Threepwoods roaming in the wild. And uh, thank you, Jenny. And yeah, I, I fully agree. I've come across uh, Maya P- P- Pixelskaya's. skya's I think she has an Etsy store or maybe she just has a site. But uh, yeah, the stuff she does, she has all kinds of great stuff, including like uh, a lot of LucasArts stuff. I'm not sure if she has a plush uh, purple tentacle, but she might. And she has a guy brush underwater tie. But yeah, that mani pendant is amazing. And uh, yeah, I, I will cover Fate of Atlantis and and Dot soon enough. I promise. <laughs> and, uh, you know, thank thank you for uh, your comments. And Skeleton Casablanca. I love it. I'm going to use that. All right. Next, we got a couple of voicemails. The first one being from our friend Amirai Akago. Take it away, sir.
1: Yo, Joe! I'm ago here yet again, with another voicemail that I know you love so much. Yes, you can't get enough of these, can you? Can you? Huh? HUH? <clears throat> anyway. Thanks once again for your response to my last voicemail on Private Ear. It's very gratifying to know that I wasn't the only one who had so much trouble with that game, even though I did enjoy it. But anyway, I kinda came here to talk about your current subject, which is Grim Fandango, only to realize that I didn't really have that much to say about it. Because really, what can one say about it that hasn't yet been said already? The game's a goddamn masterpiece, and everybody knows it. It's more apparent than ever, considering how many people went out and bought the new remastered edition, that there still is a lot of love for this beautiful and surreal tale of crime and corruption in the land of the dead. Hell, just the sheer fact that there is a game that answers to that description is proof that it is one of a kind. As for my story, well, I read the previews, I played the demo, and I was blown away. Now at the time, I was originally planning to buy the game with my own money, but this was back when I still relied on the allowance I received from my parents to purchase the stuff I wanted, and I was kinda bad at saving up my money, so that wasn't really an option for me. Fortunately, there was a library in the next town that, in addition to the usual books and stuff, they also had CD-ROMs that you could borrow, and among them were several games. In fact, it was there that I first had the opportunity to try out my current all-time favorite game, The Neverhood. But that's another story. Naturally, they had Grim Fandango there too, so I borrowed it, played through it, using a walkthrough from a Dutch gaming magazine, mind, and I've loved it to pieces. I still remember how scared I was the first time I saw somebody getting shot with a Sproutella gun. Like, even though all the characters are already dead, they can apparently be made even deader, which is kinda scary to think about, because we don't even know what happens to those people that get sprouted or torn apart by demon beavers. Anyway, when I finally beat the game, I even tried writing an email to Tim Schafer personally to tell him just how much I loved it, which actually impressed my mom because English was my second language and all. But I don't think that email ever made it to its intended recipient because I simply used the first email address I could find on LucasArts' website at the time. Also, since I was still a crafty little piratey bastard back then, I used my brother's CD-RW drive to make a copy of the game so I could play it again and again whenever I wanted after returning the original to the library. And I have to confess that I've held on to that same copy for years now, until the remastered version came out and I bought that to soothe my guilty conscience. Unfortunately my current PC proved incapable of running it, but I am currently finally working on getting a replacement, so hopefully I'll be able to re-experience this awesome game in higher quality soon enough. Putting Grim Fandango aside, I also feel I should take a minute to talk about the late, great Gary Owens, whom I was saddened to learn passed away recently. I wasn't intimately familiar with his works or anything, but like so many others, I greatly enjoyed his performance in Space Quest IV. Even back then, when I was still a little kid afraid of Sierra games, as I've already well documented in our live hangout, I enjoyed watching my brother play the game, and hearing this very charismatic and forceful narrator's voice gleefully describe everything in painstaking detail, as well as happily scold you for whatever stupid way you ended up killing yourself. To this day, I still love his comment on getting eaten by the green slime especially. As the green slime dissolves the flesh from your bones, you think, hey, this stuff consumes 47 times its weight in acid. Playing Space Quest 6 years later, I was pleasantly surprised to find Gary was back as the narrator in that as well. And for me at least, it made the game worth playing through, when you consider the various shortcomings that game had. And I think that listening to Gary's voice in these games and in several other cartoons he was in actually may have shaped my own way of speaking when doing narration like I do in my own videos, so I do owe that to him in some small but nonetheless important way. It's a rotten shame we won't be hearing his tremendous voice in the new space venture, but that's reality for ya. Hopefully the two guys from Andromeda will be able to find somebody to match Gary's intensity, but either way, I'll always fondly remember him and the many hours of entertainment his performances have given me. So, good night Gary Owens, wherever you may be, and I wish all the best to his family and acquaintances. And with that, a good night slash afternoon slash day slash whatever to you as well, Joe. As usual, keep being awesome, and remember... We hope you'll get yourself together and rejoin us! Isn't this a blast?
0: Well, thank you, sir. Great, great comments as always. And uh, yeah, thanks for, for bringing up Gary Owens again. I think he does deserve uh, as much recognition as, as, as we can give him. His voice was definitely a part of, uh, of my childhood. Okay, so next up, we have a voicemail from Trolls. So let's see what Trolls has to say.
2: Hi, Joe. This is the Space Quest Historian. Coming at you unscripted and with very little clothes on. I just took a shower. Uh, do with that information what you will. No, please don't do that. Okay, never mind. Um, what I'm here to talk about right now is uh, Grim Fandango, which I stayed up till 6 o'clock last night, 6 in the morning actually, and uh, played. Um, the remastered version, obviously. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. Now, Um, I guess it wouldn't be unfair to call Grim Fandango uh, the last of the great uh, adventure game era. it came out when people were basically telling us that adventure games were dead, and uh, frequently people have said that uh, it's a wonder that the thing got made at all. And um, I'm actually liable to agree. I think it's it, uh, it's an extremely good game. It's of high LucasArts quality, uh, and it certainly was back when it was released. And uh, it's amazing that uh, that Tim Schafer even got the game greenlit because uh, everyone was busy trying to figure out how to do 3D games at that point. So to have a traditional adventure game come out. I was almost about to say point and click, uh, which it most definitely is not. Um, But uh, it wasn't a a traditional adventure game. It had exploration, and you could take your time, and it had dialogue trees, and and it had a terrific, terrific story. Um, That's actually one of the things I enjoyed most about the game, is that it has such an amazingly good story. And it's, uh, it's epic, and it's sprawling, and it uh, takes place over many, many years, and uh, and uh, the, the characters are all endearing and uh, very, very well voiced, actually. One of the great strengths of the game is uh, the, uh, the voice talent, and indeed the entire sound design. I mean, uh, the, the soundtrack, obviously, people have praised the hell out of that, and for good reason. Um, one thing I really disliked about the game back when it came out was, of course, the tank controls. The interface. Uh, for me it, it was a huge step backwards uh, because uh, at this point in time in the late 90s I would say we had pretty much uh, perfected the point-and-click interface. Um, I will of course highlight uh, Leisure Suit Larry 7 as having the ultimate adventure game interface where you could um, You know, point around with your mouse, and if you didn't like the uh, predefined verbs that you could throw at the game, you could just type in your own. Um, But uh, LucasArts had these uh, fantastically mouse only driven uh, games. And um, you know, for me to to be able to you know lean back and just have the mouse and not be uh, not have to touch the keyboard, not have to do any of that, just lean back and play with the mouse. um, That's you know that that, that's uh, it 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 just works. And uh, for them to start uh, fiddling with tank controls and having your on-screen character moved entirely with with the keyboard just seemed like a huge step backwards to me. And uh, that was one of the reasons why I was so glad that um, when when Double Fine announced that they were going to do the uh, Grim Fandango remastered, uh, that they had uh, put in the um, support for a point point-and-click interface for uh, for the mouse control, and um, you know the lads over at the ScumVM branch uh, residual, I think it is residual VM, yeah, they had uh, already uh, put, um, you know worked on a point-and-click interface for Grim Fandango, and now it was uh, getting an official release, and you know uh, kudos to them for uh, giving us that option. Um, with me uh, playing it last night I found that um, it doesn't work quite as well as you'd think, uh, but that's mainly to do with the fact that the game was designed to be controlled with the keyboard, and so uh, it, it becomes immediately obvious when you try and pilot Manny around with the mouse. Uh, there are very few hotspots to click on, and um, he just saunters casually around the room because uh, with the original keyboard uh, controls you could uh, hold down the shift key to make him run. and uh, running was really essential to moving around the game if you didn't you know, have tons of time on your hands, because his walking speed is really slow and the areas in the game are really huge. So uh, to have him just casually saunter down uh, the hallway and uh, once you hit Rubikava, these huge uh, walkways around this the city, it just gets very, very tiresome. So one thing I quickly learned that I had to do was um, to use both the mouse and the keyboard. To play and I think I found my ultimate setup here I um, basically mapped uh, directional keys uh, WASD you know standard Quake uh, to, to move many around and um, I use the shift key to run I use the control key to bring up the inventory and I use the uh, Z, uh, ZX and C keys to um, you know look at uh, use and pick up and, uh, for the director's commentary, which I'm very, very glad they put in. I love director's commentary, so very, very big kudos for that one. Um, I put that on the tab key. And. What this does is that it allows me to have my right hand uh, use the mouse and uh, you know move the mouse around the screen looking for hotspots, which um, is very very useful because um, you know in the original game you had to walk up to the object and watch Manny turn his head and that was your indicator that there was something there that you could mess with, but uh, you know to me that seemed like a cumbersome way to explore. So I just like to you know float my mouse around the screen and see if uh, you know any hotspots light up, and uh, then I can uh, use uh, the shift key to make him run uh, places, and if if I need to uh, maneuver him precisely somewhere, I will, uh, you know, um, use the WASD keys for, to do that. And what, it, that, what this whole setup enables me to do is to basically uh, play the game with one hand on the keyboard and one hand on the mouse. And I found that that was the most optimal way to uh, to play the game. And I kind of wish that that was something they had done in the original, um, or just you know, done away with the keyboard controls altogether. Um, but um, f- what, what to say about Grim Fandango? I mean, it's uh, a testament to how great it is, is that it's, the, uh, it's one of the few adventure games that I convinced my wife to play. And uh, if it wasn't for a tragic computer crash, she would probably also have finished the game. Um, of the uh, like I said the, the sound design is fantastic the graphics are uh, actually really fantastic it's you know it's an example of uh, you know pre-rendered backgrounds and then you have these uh, polygon characters on the screen and uh, you know most games would uh, try to um, you know impress the hell out of us with these uh, polygon characters and they would always look uh, stiff and uh, and not very human-like and, and not very expressionly uh, or, or not have a very wide range of expressions I mean uh, I'm looking at uh, Gabriel 93, Three and I'm looking at Mask of Eternity. These are examples of late 90s 3D games that tried to wow us and failed horribly and miserably. Uh, but Grim Fandango plays uh, with the strengths of the limitations of the time by having these, you know, these are just animated skeletons running around. They're very simple um very simple facial uh, expressions but they they really really work so this i I, th- I think it's a it was a brilliant move to set the game in the land of the dead and just you know work with the limitations that they had so they actually put together one of the best looking adventure games of the late 90s as well and um <clears throat> uh, let's see um one thing i probably didn't like as much back when i played the game and obviously when i played it last night one thing that it at least reminded me was that um you know It's a better story than it is an adventure game, to be honest. The story is fantastic. And uh, the story, you know, I I can't praise the story enough. Uh, But as an adventure game, the actual bread and butter of adventure games, the puzzles and such, I don't actually think these are very well designed. of course, they're not uh, overly difficult, uh, unless you count the uh, you know cat race puzzle and uh, stuff like that. But mo- mostly, they're just inventory-based puzzles. But one thing I feel is that the game just isn't really. Um, it's, it it doesn't really tell you what it wants, at least not very clearly. Or maybe I'm just being stupid. Or maybe I've gotten dumber over the years. But uh, you know, I actually had to look up a walkthrough uh, a couple of times because I had completely forgotten what it was I was supposed to do, and the game just doesn't actually really you know telegraph your goal you're sort of expected to walk around and fiddle with things and and just kind of stumble on oh oh shit this thing does that okay i uh, wonder what i can use that for so it's one of those uh it's one of those kind of games where you uh fiddle with something and you and the uh, the main character just sort, is sort of uh Uh, you know, decides decides that this is something that he's going to do. And then it's your job as the player to figure out what you're supposed to do with it, as opposed to giving you a clear goal and then look around the game world for solutions to that goal. Um, So uh, like I said, it's a better story than it is an adventure game. But uh, you I mean, I stuck with it and, you know, people have uh, stuck with it precisely because then it is such a fantastic story. And, uh, you know, little quirks about the uh, remastered version. I know there's been some, you know, some uh, glaring errors uh, on its uh, original release and uh, they have since been patched. So the game is not as crash prone as it was uh, when it was released. Um, You know, I didn't encounter any crashes. Um, One thing I I kind of... uh, uh, it kind of wondered was that if they had gone to the effort of putting in an info screen that tells you that the game does not autosave and that you should save your progress from the main menu in order to avoid losing your progress, why didn't they just code in a fucking autosave in the first place? Oh, probably a bit too much effort, I guess. Um, but um, for me, um, you know, the aspect ratio, um, the things that people have criticized was, was that the um, aspect ratio is either 4-3, and you have this fancy little border around the screen, or you can stretch it out to a, a widescreen. screen. Um, And I just, you know, stuck with the 4:3 because it, you know, you, for me, I hardly noticed that the the game was in a different aspect ratio than my. uh, I was playing it on my TV, my widescreen TV, and I, I I barely noticed because you become so engrossed in the game world anyway. So uh, I don't really care. One thing I did notice was that I thought I had a, you know, pretty good laptop, but uh, once I, you know, started the game and cranked all the visual effects up to maximum, uh, you know, all the. uh, you know, the uh, f- um, new polygons that they've made for the characters and all the uh, fancy lighting and stuff, uh, my computer just slowed to a crawl, especially when there was more than uh, two people on screen, two characters on screen. Uh, so I actually had to, you know, uh, downgrade the visuals quite a bit for it to run uh, somewhat smoothly. And once you hit uh, places like Rubacava where there are screens with uh, five or six characters on it, like uh, Manny's uh, Casino or uh, the. Um, uh, the beatnik bar, um, it, it it just really chugs along, like the audio skips and stuff. And as I was thinking, wait a minute, this is like a na- late 90s game, why is it so slow? Um, so I was kind of wondering why they, they, they probably could have optimized it a little bit better. Uh, but uh, by and large um, Grin Fandango is a fantastic game and I, it, it's very very deserving of a re-release um, and I'm very very glad that they put in um, all these little touches that make um, th- that really really improve upon the original experience because you know fuck the tank controls so thank you for putting in the point and click thing and uh, I know it's not perfect but it's it's you know the best you could do with a game that was not designed to be played as a point and click game so um, you know the hybrid of keyboard and mouse it it works well for me um and the uh, you know higher definition polygons and the um, directional lighting and the re-recording of the music oh my god this is it it's it's just a stellar game and i'm very very glad that uh, someone took the time and effort to uh, um to put it out in a remastered version and uh, of course even if you don't care about all that stuff even if you don't care about the re-recorded music and the higher polygons and stuff just having the director's commentary in there i feel is worth the money alone so um If for some reason you never uh, picked up Grim Fandango back in the day, um, you really, uh, and I'm talking to everyone that's listening to this podcast, if for some reason you didn't pick it up when it came out, now's your chance, and you really are uh, doing yourself a disservice by not exploring this absolutely fantastic game. Um, So... Yeah, there you have it. I am I'm gonna go uh, play it some more because I actually didn't get very far when I was playing it last night. So, uh, I mean, I got up to I got up to the cat race puzzle actually, uh, which is in year two. So I'm not even halfway through the game. Um, So um, I'm really looking forward to um, traipsing along the land of the dead with Manny and his fantastic accent. My God, I love the accent. The actor who plays Manny is just Really, really great. Although the Glottis uh, actor kind of gets on my nerves, but he's a fan favorite, so I'm not going to say any more about that. Um, Everything about this game is stellar. You should go play it, and even with its small little flaws and quirks, um, you're still going to have a fantastic time. So um, that's uh, about as glowing a review as you're going to get from me. So um, yeah, back to you, Joe.
0: Well, thank you, trolls. Amazing comments. And uh, we have one final voicemail from Brian, so take it away.
4: Hey, Joe, this is Brian. Um, You know, in the live show that we recorded, um, before it started, we were discussing that whenever I think about writing in, I'm driving, because I listen to the podcast while I drive. And then, you know, when I'm home, I don't think about it. So, you or Trolls uh, had mentioned that, you know, I should just use my cell phone to record a message, and, you know, whatever quality would be good enough for you. So... Here it is, Joe. My thoughts for this week's show about Grim Fandango have to do with uh, some people on the internet uh, complaining about the remaster not being what they expected. And what I think is I think that with the remake of Resident Evil, or actually the re-remake, that people expected a complete remake of the game. But to me, a remake is like the Resident Evil, where it's complete new code, you know, a new game usually from the ground up with the original game as the framework. Um, Some of them are drastically different. You know, there was a Bionic Commando remake uh, years ago, but... um, Remaster, I always thought, is exactly what we got with Grim Fandango, where it plays like the original game, looks like the original game, but much prettier, you know, HD graphics. Um, But again, plays just like the same game and looks just like the same game. Now, I have not purchased yet the Grim Fandango remake. I'm sorry, remaster. See, I did it too. (laughs) But, uh, from everything I've seen is it looks just like the original plays just like the original, but again, much prettier. So I'm just curious what your thoughts on that are. You know, if you were satisfied with it or if you were expecting more too. So there's my thoughts. Thank you, Joe. Well,
0: thank you, Brian. And, uh, yeah, I guess I gave my thoughts a little while back there in the, uh, the future whatever part where i talked about it but uh you know i was fine with it i did notice you know a couple of little things here and there but uh i thought it was a very great very faithful very serviceable uh, remaster and i enjoyed it immensely
2: you are listening to the upper podcast.
0: so does grim fandango hold up today well In most ways, absolutely it does, and I don't mean that in a bad way, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So to me, and I'm sure to many others, this was the last notable LucasArts adventure. I mean, it was innovative, it had a style all of its own, I mean, the writing, the art, the voice acting, these are all, like, to me, 100% on point. I mean, playing this game actually makes me smile. Manny is a great main character, you know, you feel for him, you relate to him, the game has a perfect balance of serious to silly and the plot just moves forward nicely or it falls down a little bit still you know is in the controls department even with the enhancements in the remaster it sometimes takes Manny a long time to traverse an area and also like with many adventure games some of the puzzles are shall we say not very obvious However, these small issues aside, this game does represent a very high mark in adventure gaming. I mean, it continues to be one of my favorite adventures of all time, with great acting, writing style, and an amazing story. I mean, Grim Fandango is a must-play. With the Remastered Edition out now, there is no excuse. Go and play it now.
3: Intimidating me, but I'm your friend. My name's Manny Calavera. I'm your new travel agent.
0: So that's that for another show. Again, apologies for the delay getting this one out. Thanks for all the amazing comments on this game. There's so many this week. I love it. I Keep them coming. I love hearing your voices. I think it makes the show more interesting. So next time, we're going to stay around 1998, but we are switching from the dead to crazy insane driving with Carmageddon. So I'm looking forward to that one and I'm looking forward to your thoughts on it. Also, I should update everyone on the results of the February giveaway of a copy of Grim Fandango Remastered. I did the the drawing and Craig is the winner. So I hope you have a great time adventuring through the land of the dead. For March, since I'm covering Carmageddon, I'll be giving away a copy of that game from GOG. Uh, So for these monthly giveaways, I'll be changing the email subject. So if you want this game, drop me an email with the subject line, March 2015 giveaway. So that's that, Carmageddon. If you want that game, email podcast.umbcast.com, subject March 2015 giveaway. Good luck to everyone. As always, send email or audio comments to podcast.umbcast.com. Thanks to Rick Moyer for his great audio work. You can find his stuff at MoyerMultimedia.com. And don't forget, if you enjoy the show, you can become my boss over at patreon.com slash UMBCast. If you find some value in the show, please consider joining all my current patrons and donating a buck or two per episode to help me with the costs and, you know, hit some new goals. So check out the show notes at UMBCast.com. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash UMBCast. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash show, and me personally at twitter.com slash billybob476. You can also find me on YouTube at youtube.com UMBCast, where I'm going to get back to putting up videos. It's been a little while. I definitely want to throw some Carmageddon up there. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Stream us live at Stitcher Radio. So that is that. And we will see you next time for Carmageddon here in the Upper Memory Block. Control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroiani. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at
1: umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here?
0: Join.